Urban hospitals are on a major front line of the response to COVID-19, especially in relation to underserved and vulnerable populations. Let's talk all about one Baltimore facility's approach right here on this special bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm privileged to use this platform to educate and inform you so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with others. I'm committed to regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. These episodes are always free of corporate sponsorship. They're just about education and information as a public service. Please share far and wide if you find these episodes useful. And the show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-13. All information in these episodes about COVID-19 reference the most up-to-date information we can access, as well as personal opinions and reactions from yours truly and my guests. Please note the situation is changing every day, every moment, and anything we share here on the show could be inaccurate or updated by the time we go to publication. Please also note that anything shared in the course of these episodes is not intended for diagnosis or treatment, so consult your healthcare provider, the CDC, the WHO, your Department of Health, or any other evidence-based sources that you trust. And if you hear or read something on the show that you feel is erroneous, shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com with anything that you can share with me to disabuse me of anything I shared with you, and I will post a public correction. Thanks for understanding. Stay safe and keep informed. And before I introduce today's guest, I just want to disclose that the University of Maryland Medical System is a recent sponsor of the Nurse Heath Show. Just a small disclosure. So Nate Guyton is a certified critical care nurse who currently serves as chief nursing officer of the University of Maryland Medical System Midtown Campus. I'm excited to have her here on the show. And Nate, before we get to talking about your career and what you do and what you have done, we're going to jump right into the deep end. And I want to ask you, how have things been going at the University of Maryland Medical Center Midtown Campus during this incredibly unprecedented time? Oh, my goodness. Nurse Keith, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is a, a pivotal time, and I think our profession and just healthcare in general. And so just like, you know, many hospitals across the United States, we have been just rolling up our sleeves, serving the community every day, ensuring that our staff is well taken care of. But it's been a time in which, you know, because it, again, this is unprecedented times we haven't seen this. It, you know, we have a set of standards, of course, we're caring for our patients, but we're seeing patients who come in critically ill, um, they're young, you know, they're some, some are elderly, and it's just sometimes heartbreaking to see patients come in so sick, um, but we're giving them the care that they need, um, they're getting the treatment, and it was such a blessing last week, we had a patient who was in our system for 40 days and walked out of the hospital. 40 days? 40 days and had, you, you know, I mean, life-saving treatment. And we celebrated the patient. Actually, we gave him a standing ovation and he walked through our organization and he walked out 
almost completely healed, right? And I say almost because we never really know, you know, with COVID. Um, but to have him 40 days being being at the brink, you know, lose him. And with all of the care from the doctors, the nurses, pharmacy, respiratory therapy, he walked out of the hospital and we were all just so uplifted. That's fantastic. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of sad stories too. And I'm so glad you led with a really happy story because that's it's so important for us to celebrate our successes and to also acknowledge where we haven't succeeded and maybe learn and do something better the next time, right? So in the course of this, what are a couple things you've learned as a chief nursing officer and someone with a history in critical care? What are a couple things you've you've just so far taken away from this incredible experience? Well, just as a nurse, I'm learning we don't have enough nurses, you know? Um, and, and we heard this yes. in 2018. We heard the prediction that over a million nurses would retire by 2020. And so we're not only are we seeing that, I am really surprised to see a lot of our critical care nurses retiring. So, you know, like I said, the COVID patients, they come in, they're critically ill, they bypass the medical surgical units and they're going to critical care. And we noticed that, you know, we need to change our ratios for, for our COVID patients and our critical care. And sometimes they're one-to-one, right? And I noticed that, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, we don't even have a pool. So even if we go through or across the United States, I called a couple of them. a lot of these nurses that retired were critical care nurses. And so that was a lesson learned for me because it was like, I knew they were going to retire, but I didn't know half of them were critical care nurses. Oh, no. And so, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think what came out of that is we're able within our system to develop a system pool. Um, we, we did that did come out of uh, this COVID environment. But I do also think that um, we we need to go back to our institutions, you know, our schools of nursing Mm -hmm. and really educate our nurses about the profession of critical care nurses. Right. We have to fill this pipeline quickly. That's a very good point. And I've talked to several guests and also just offline about how a lot of nursing education, there's been wrenches thrown into it and medical education and social work education and PTs and everything because of the pandemic. So we're running into a little, not little, a huge bottleneck because it's more and more difficult for us to properly educate our students because it's a dangerous environment to bring them into. So that's a whole nother conversation. But in terms of staffing your hospital, do you have, do you have one ICU dedicated to COVID or have you had to convert other units for COVID? Yes. Um, Actually we took a hybrid approach where we have converted uh, beds. Um, A lot of our negative pressure rooms have been converted to COVID units so we have a few med surge units, telemetry units. We have what we call COVID beds, if you will, on each of those units. And then we did recently create a COVID unit. But understanding that um, the patient population is not only sick, you never know when a patient converts from negative, right, to positive. True. And that could happen 
in your environment. So it was difficult for us to say, if we just have a COVID unit, let's say they're, they're negative when they come in and then they're, they're in a med surge bed and then they're positive four days later, we needed to have the capability of having the same level of care on that unit but transferring that patient maybe to a negative pressure room and educating the staff. So that model actually helped us for the future because now across the United States, we're saying, well, everyone could be, right? When they come in our hospital, we have to consider this is our new normal and everyone could be positive until ruled out negative. Mm -hmm. So that hybrid approach did prep us to have our nurses trained have the right PPE and available to take care of patients if they happen to turn COVID while they're in our hospital, if you will. I see. So how many beds does the UMMS Midtown campus have? Yeah. So we have 150 beds. Okay. 150. And how many are critical care, not during a pandemic? Well, so our critical care unit and our um, intermediate care unit, that's an 18-bed unit. Mm -hmm. And so during this COVID time, when we were canceling elective surgeries, we also added our 22-bed post-operative area into that mix, right? We had to convert beds, you know? I see. So, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we were... We were having 40 or 50 IMC critical care beds, and that was the biggest need. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like as chief nursing officer with critical care experience, and we'll talk a little bit more about your history, it sounds like there's a lot of pivoting going on. And how do you keep your head on a swivel enough so that you can just turn on a dime whenever you have to? Right. How do you, how do, you do it as a leader? Well, you know, nurse Keith, I don't know if is it the art and science of nursing. I think our heads are always on the swivel. Uh, but I've learned, I think my critical care background helps me to be visionary, if you will, in my leadership mm-hmm. style. Um, so when I'm thinking about a strategy, I'm always thinking about what are we doing today and what could occur, right? So like today we had a meeting with our leadership team, our nursing leadership team and said, well, if the surge that's predicted to come is three times more and it will likely combine the flu with COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, we're thinking about beds now. We're thinking about staffing now. Um, So we have multiple plans in place. Um, So that's, that's one piece. The other piece is daily communication with my leadership and the staff and rounding week, seven days a week, right? Because I can't do this alone. I can make the plan. I can project what I believe is going to occur, but I need the team to carry it out. So daily mm-hmm. communication, we had daily huddles. We, we had daily COVID huddles, and we had a great incident command leadership structure within our organization that provided us the preparation all across the organization. And we took that and my nursing leadership team, we would round seven days a week and we would literally have huddles with the staff seven days a week to make sure that they had what they needed, they were ready, you know, and we were able to either pivot when we need to, or, you know, now we're at a point where we're downsizing a little bit. So we're able to give people off and have a little bit of a a break, but Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, at any moment, we could ramp up. 
Right. And, you know, surges are happening at this moment. This is July 15, 2020. So we're seeing surges in Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Arizona, certain states and cities are really taking off. So in Baltimore, where you are, you have Johns Hopkins, you have UMMS, you have a lot of other facilities, great facilities. So what's happening in Baltimore right now as we're kind of deep into the the summer? What's the state of things there right now? Well, I think we're still, we call it surge one to two. So we're okay. still in a caring for our patient population who um, are persons of investigation or, you know, COVID positive. So we still have that within our organization. Um, I, I'm pleased to say within our state, we had a Baltimore field hospital in which, you know, Johns Hopkins and LifeBridge and University of Maryland came together and provided an alternative, if you will, for our COVID patient population who, once they were discharged from the hospital, didn't have a place to go, but still required care. So that is still right. in place, right? We also, within our system, have a hospital dedicated to COVID, where again, if there's a, a patient that we can transfer, we're doing that. So I, I think in short, we're still caring for our patients, and we're meeting at least three times a week to plan for this new surge that's coming. So we're looking at staffing grids and beds. We're looking at our lessons learned, right? How mm-hmm. have we learned from what we just went through? But again, the data is predicting and, and our leadership is, is saying, you know, this next surge will be three, maybe three times as more or as much as what we saw before. So that's the algorithm we're using to develop our next plan. I see. And when you say the next surge, which some of us are thinking, is this the second wave? And that's a lot of that comes down to semantics. Dr. Fauci talks about it. Everybody talks about it. Whether it's the first wave or the end of the first wave, the beginning of the second wave. In terms of late summer, fall, and then late fall or winter, I know you can't predict, but I know you're trying to. You're looking at various models and algorithms and just using your intuition and the data too. So you said maybe two or three times the number of positive patients. So it sounds like you all are preparing for a pretty rough fall and winter. Yes. And you know what frightens me, Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's a nuance and, and, what we're discussing now, whether it's the wave or the surge, is the flu season, right? Okay. So the the flu season will be upon us, of course. And so we're thinking September, October, November, we'll start mm-hmm. to see that rise in cases and sure. it will be the flu plus the COVID, right? So, it, yeah. you know, there'll be another name for it. But we believe that that is what is going to be indicative of this next wave, right? And so, you know, you think about it. If you really look at the numbers of um, illnesses related to the flu and deaths really mm-hmm. related to the flu, they are very high. And I'm not sure the general public really understand that because it's kind of been overshadowed by COVID. But when you mix the flu and COVID and, and during the same time, I think we're going to see a sicker population in various ages, 
right? You remember mm-hmm. we saw this first phase, it was more of, you know, what we were saying, 55 and older, but we know the flu, right? There is some of the, the pediatric population. There is that elderly population. I think we're going to see that much more this year than we've had in the past. I believe you're right. Yeah, I believe you're right. And 1918, if we look back 102 years, that was a pandemic influenza. So they knew they were dealing with an influenza and it did go underground during the summer and people let down their guard. And then it surged back in the fall, which some people had been predicting would happen this summer. I didn't believe it. I thought we were going to be bad throughout the summer. And unfortunately, I was right. I didn't want to be right. So we're surging around the country now and it's in the height of summer. So the panacea of you know hot weather leading to COVID really taking a dive didn't pan out, unfortunately. So it sounds like you're really preparing. And you mentioned the elderly, you mentioned the young, and I know your facility, you, you told me offline that you treat a lot of people with mental health disorders at the Midtown campus. You, you treat the young, seniors, there's urban communities of color, and we all know that there's a lot of conversations about racial inequities right now all around the country from healthcare to police interaction with the community, et cetera. So what are the vulnerable populations you're most concerned about that your hospital addresses and will address, say, in the next six months? Who are you really worried about? Right. So we're, we're definitely worried about the community and the zip code in West Baltimore that we serve. Okay. Right. So that, that we're, we, we are the flagship hospital for serving West Baltimore. Um, but again, as we look at the Maryland data, the CDC data that has come out around African-American population, Hispanic population, and the prevalence of COVID positive, mm-hmm. right, and, and the associated illnesses. So we've seen this population be impacted by death, right, um, with COVID because of pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about heart disease, right, um, when you talk about diabetes, so there are populations that we serve within West Baltimore that may be genetically predisposed or may be disposed because of just, you know, um, primary issues. And so we have focused on that population that we know, you know, our service lines around cardiac care and and diabetic care and endocrine um, and and ensuring that they have access, not only access to care, but access to testing, right? Mm -hmm. So we're Mm -hmm. reaching out to populations in our community to ensure they know where to get tested. They know how to get tested. They don't have to have a primary care doctor or require, you know, the registration or the appointment. So we're actively reaching out and calling them and saying, listen, you know, the Baltimore Convention Center is offering testing for free at this time. Here are the walk-up hours. So really going out to our community and educating them. We're also doing a lot of education around wearing masks, social distancing, you know, don't double up on your medication, you know, really having that pharmacy available for them so they can go and get the medication that they need And then last but not least, there is a bit of, even with our children not going to school, there's the the piece in terms of, will they be able to eat, Mm -hmm. right? So our children, 
you know, in our, in, in our zip code that we serve, they go to school, they need the meal. And so not being in school for almost, you know, six to nine months, we didn't want them to miss out on meals. So we're literally going out into the community, feeding you the kids, feeding the wow. families. Um, and then in that time, we're giving them COVID kits. We're giving them education. You know, here's the mask. Here's the hand sanitizer. Don't forget it. Good. That's wonderful. And how do you, how do you get meals to these communities? Are you partnering with community organizations or faith organizations? How do you make this happen logistically in West Baltimore? Yeah. So we are connected with faith organizations, but we're also connected with the rec centers. Hmm. Okay. Right. So Harlem Park Recreation Center is one of the centers that we help to revitalized. And so we're spending time on the weekends actually at the rec centers and we're handing out uh, masks and COVID kits and food and, you know, just, just meal kits. Um, and we do, you know, get information out there through the association. So through the neighborhood associations, mm-hmm. we partner with them and they're out there with us and they, they give us the, you know, this is the right location. This is the right time. These are the families that are in need. And it's just overwhelmingly, you know, the community response is just so positive. So not only are we providing access and care in our hospital, you know, it is our duty to go out and be those healing, helping hands outside in our community. That's fantastic. I'm hoping you might be able to send me a few photos or something that we can put in the show notes of some of the work you're doing out there. That would be great. And you know, when we talk about racial and socioeconomic disparities, you talked about children not getting their meals. So some children rely on more than one meal a day for at school. It could be breakfast and lunch, and it could maybe even be a later meal because they're in aftercare. So we also know that in communities of color, there is a preponderance of COVID-19 viral burden, right? We're seeing that in terms of the percentage of people with the virus and dying of the virus, or at least getting very critically ill and needing care. And then we see that in communities of color, we have a lot of people who work in professions and industries that don't stay home and work from a laptop over Zoom. They're, they're, doing all sorts of different jobs out there in the world, keeping the world running. And they also have their children at home. So it sounds like you're trying to look at this from, I guess you could say a holistic point of view. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And what are your concerns for families in West Baltimore? I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the children's meals. What are your other concerns about families within your community? I think just about education, you know, um, being able to understand really what is fact versus fiction, you know, what is, what what is the news saying versus what is social media saying? Because social media have a big impact in how we make decisions these days. So if there is a particular entertainer saying something on social media that is Mm -hmm. maybe not factual about COVID, that can change, you know, the way people see it as, is it real or is it not? That's and true. having healthcare providers go out and educate the community. So therefore, when I go home, I can educate my family. You know, I can be safe. We know there are a lot of families who 
They take care of their grandmother. They take care of their mothers. There are multi-generation families living in one home. So, of course, we have to go out and work, but we can make sure we're wearing our masks while we're at work. We can make sure we keep the hand sanitizer. We can make sure that there's access to testing. And so, you know, I may not, I may be negative, COVID negative, but then maybe someone else in my family need to get tested and may not have a primary care physician. So just looking at, you know, not just given the items of like the COVID kit, but the education and knowledge of how to protect my family in the midst of the environment that I have to live in now. Excellent point. And in the future. Right. Multi-generational households. Let's say dad works in food service or maybe another member, uncle or, or aunt works, let's say they work in public transportation or they work in healthcare. They're not working from home. They're coming home from potentially being exposed. So that's a lot of education. And, you know, looking at your history, I mean, you have an amazing history. You have a a doctorate. You also have a master's degree. You earned your master's in nursing with what concentration? Oh, education. So education. My, my first, yeah, my first master's is in education. My post-master's is in information technology. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I can't even get one master's and you have two <laughs> and a PhD. So now, I know you've been chief nursing officer at Mercy Suburban. You were chief clinical informatics officer at Trinity Health, Mercy, Mercy Health System. And you've also, you're a certified critical care nurse. And so you've been around the block. So was critical care a real central to your, your work as a clinician in your, yeah. earlier in your career? Yes. Actually, one of my favorite clinical rotations when I was in college was in critical care. And I literally watched the patient come in actually from a helicopter um, and they flew him in. We were, I worked in trauma at University of Pennsylvania and as a, as a clinical nurse. And uh, I, we all thought, oh my goodness, this young kid, poor kid, is, he's not going to make it. We did everything we could. And 24 weeks later, he walked out of the hospital. And again, it was kind of my vow to the profession. This is what I want to do. This is what mm -hmm. I want to be a part of. I want to advocate for this. And critical care is just aligned with my personality and my purpose. And, and it's helped me. It, it has been the foundation and building blocks for my leadership and my leadership style. It prepares me. So to your earlier point around keeping my head on the swivel, I treat my leadership uh, style and how I respond just as like I was in a code and had to respond to opening a patient's chest at the bedside and palpating the heart because, you know, his heart stopped beating. Right. And, and that's the way I look at what we do every day. Wow. And it seems like you've been in a code for six months now. With no days off. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of days off, I know you're just starting a few days off and I'm glad you're getting that for a little staycation. Now, you know, we talk a lot about self-care and caring for our nurses and our frontline staff. So I'd like to know a little bit about that. And I'm also curious, I've been hearing about and talking about and writing about and reading about how there's a lot of unsung heroes in healthcare. 
We've got the people in environmental services who clean the patients' rooms. They're actually in the rooms with the COVID patients. There's the people who deliver the meals, the people who 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 do so many supportive things that they're not hands-on with the patients, but they're hands-on with the facility. So can you just tell us a little bit about not just the nurses, but everybody? How are you addressing the entire community within the Midtown campus of UMMS? Well, so first and foremost, it is our job to make sure our staff is safe, right? Um, One of my favorite positions that came out of COVID, and you talk about an unsung hero, was what we call observers, right? And so this, Mm -hmm. this position came out of infection prevention during this COVID time, and they are to stand at the doors of the rooms where we have the COVID patients, and they watch every staff member don and doff PPE. And so we know that the transmission of COVID can easily come from the PPE when someone's leaving the room. Right. The mental psyche allows us to take special precaution when we're entering the room but when we're exiting the room, we believe that it's over, you know, we've passed it, but there is a certain algorithm to dawn and doll. Yes. And so we had these observers and uh, we wind up using our surgical services staff who are used to doing this in the OR and they were fabulous. And I credit this position. And, and when I say they literally stood there, and they watched and they did this checklist, you know, almost like a pilot. They mm-hmm. were very, very intense. But I, 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 I watched them be very proud about this job. And I, and I actually talked to one the other day and he said, you know, we save lives, Dr. Guyton. What we do is very serious. And I credit our low numbers of staff transmission to our observer staff. Wow, that's, that's incredible. It, it is it is mm-hmm. incredible. And just, again, carving out the resources to do this 24 hours a day, every unit in our hospital for every employee that go in and out of the room was an expense. But it was, again, one of those unsung heroes. Absolutely. And then, like I mentioned, the environmental service workers, they go in and out of those rooms too. They have to be observed and protected and given proper equipment, PPE. And um, as we just start to wind down, I just want to ask about PPE. Do you have concerns for this major surge you're expecting in the fall and winter and the um, supply chain for the things that you might need let's say in December and January. Yes. Yeah. It's always concerns about PPE, especially because what we've seen across the United States, right? On the news and other hospitals, it has always been our utmost um, just focal point around PPE. Actually, we have an electronic dashboard where we know how many gowns, you know, how many heads, you know, we look at that every day and we continue to source and have a backup plan to the 12 backup plans, right? You Great. know, I was literally on a call today at four o'clock and we're going through a plan. You know, if we, you know, keep our volume at this state, how much 
E do we need? If we add three times more of the volume, how many do we need? And if we run out, what do we do? Mm -hmm. So those exercises are happening today, even though we're not in that area. But yes, it is very important. Um, I do worry about that. Actually, we conduct PPE rounds. So that was another thing we added. Um, our nursing leadership, seven days a week, and we would just go to each of the units and, and not just nursing, everyone. Do you have enough PPE? Mm -hmm. How are you doing? How is your mask holding up? Is it anything we're missing? You know, and they would give us feedback. But I think that helped the staff know that we care about the PPE. And, you know, and I had some people who say, well, I went to the PPE store and they didn't give me this. And I would go right down and get what they needed with them and help them eliminate the barriers to get what they needed. That's great. So you're hands-on, you're there all the time and your leaders are there all the time. Yes. Yeah, that's yep. wonderful. So as a nursing leader, is there anything else that has surprised you in this situation or anything that you just, you didn't see coming? I, I think, you know, I want to mention again, from a nursing perspective, um, Two, two things. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to be pre-planning around the financial component, right? There's a regular budget and there and there's the COVID budget. Um, two, I would say ensure that you have the adequate staffing and training that you need. And then the third piece that really su surprised me was just the sheer number of um, education to the staff, right? And changing our care delivery model. So it was kind of what's old is new. Mm -hmm. You know, we had to really go back to team nursing, right? And so th the newer generation had no clue. Like, what do you, what do you mean team nursing? Right. Um, but there, there is a need to change your care delivery model. And what I found that was misaligned is the electronic record. The electronic record is not set up for team nursing but rather individual care delivery model. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. So again, head on a swivel, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really hope during your little vacation you're about to embark on, and thank you for giving us some time just as you're beginning your vacation, that you get a little time to yourself like you're trying to give some of your staff while things are a little bit calmer, just to incrementally calmer right now in the in July. So I hope you can continue to take care of yourself because you know that you're going to have a big job to do once the fall and winter come. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you're so wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this special COVID-19 bonus episode of The Nurse Keith Show. There will be much more to come, and you can learn about Dr. Natay Guyton and the University of Maryland Medical System Midtown Campus at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-13. I hope you feel informed and empowered from this episode, and I encourage you to take inspired action every day to educate, inform, and calm your family, loved ones, colleagues, and members of your wider community. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts, media entities, musical artists, and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education 
educate the public from scientifically informed perspectives and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. You can find us at arslonga.media, that is A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Stay safe, stay informed, be the nurse and healthcare professional who does the right thing in the face of COVID-19. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Dr. Nate Guyton bidding you adieu from? From Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much, Nate, and we will catch everyone on the flip side.